Welcome to the Michael Smith Architect Podcast with your host, Michael Smith. Well, welcome everyone. This is Mike Smith with Michael Smith's Podcast, and I'm really excited to have a fantastic guest on. Um, Eric from Schaefer Construction, had, we've worked a number of projects together, and it's just been a fantastic uh, contractor to work with, really understands and uh, believes in the idea of teamwork, which is what I'm all about, and while delivering the best possible service uh, to our clients and such. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Eric Schaefer to the show. How you doing, Eric? Good, Michael. Thank you for having me. Great. Great to have you. I appreciate your time. I know you're a busy guy and such, but I appreciate you setting a little time aside here to go over it. Um, Eric, why don't you tell us a little bit about your company and such and, and your focus and things like that? Sure. Yeah, we've been building in the San Luis Obispo area since, uh, well, gosh, my dad was a builder. And then uh, there was a time I worked for some other builders when he quit. And then I started my own company. I was about 21. And so we're coming up on 30 years in our own business. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's, it's gone by fast. fast it? yeah. <laughs> but it's uh, it's something where my, my dad did spec homes and we've done almost exclusively custom homes. And so we've had the opportunity to uh, refine our process to be able to appeal to people who want a different level of service than someone who maybe is looking for a ready-built home, that they want to actually have a, a process they can engage in and feel like their their wants, needs, desires are being attended to and that we're making sure things don't uh, go awry during the process. And then ultimately it's something they'd be interested in doing again should they ever want to. And that's always been our objective is to do our best to serve our clients to the extent that it's a pleasurable experience for them and they do it again. And so far that's, it's gone pretty much that way. Excellent. Well, that's great. So let's just start off with some, you know, we're, we're coming, hopefully we're coming out of this pandemic and such, but so how is the construction environment in San Luis right now from your point of view? It's, it's pretty much non-affected. We got slowed down for about a week or two when they first shut things down because of in the municipalities were not inspecting. Yeah. And so we kind of found an end run around that by using private uh, inspection services and then emailing our municipal inspector saying, here's your inspection for your record. And they said, uh, okay, well, thanks. Oh, wow. <laughs> what an and interesting they, idea. Yeah, and they, it actually worked well. And then it wasn't wasn't very long before they were starting to do limited inspections, and then we got everything back on track. So really, it was it was wasn't much of a blip on our uh, radar. But I know so many people around us have just been absolutely devastated. So we feel very blessed to have been staying busy. In fact, we've been hiring in the midst of this while wow. other companies are having to lay off. So we're we're very blessed. It's really hard to see what um, what has happened through the process of picking winners and losers that there's a lot of people really suffering. Yeah, I, I agree. That's, I'm, that's really interesting. Have you done private uh, inspections before? I mean, I didn't even think about uh, doing something like that. We have actually, it, it first came to my attention when an architect friend of mine years ago had a project that he was kind of trying to do, you know, an end run on the, because he was having trouble getting approval and he had to get his project started. And, and so he hired a private inspection service uh, Geo Solutions, and they just come out and they certify everything's being built, and it's already engineered and so forth. And I said that's kind of risky, and 
And uh, they got to where he finally got his permit and they came out to inspect and his frame was already up. And he said, here's all your inspections. And there wasn't much. They could say about. So, so it, it, the, the, the righteous way to handle it though, is to coordinate that in advance with your building official. And they do allow that. Uh, I've, I've spoken with a number of municipalities about that. And they say, yeah, and you just get it approved with us first and we can work stuff like that out. So it's, and is and, there, I'm, sorry, I'm kind of going off track here because this is really interesting. Is there a list of, of inspection service or engineers that they say, okay, you can use this? Well, I have, I have limited breadth of experience in that because we've always used the same firm. It's, okay. And that's Geo Solutions. They've always been so fantastic to work with. But I'm sure there's many others out there. I, I just couldn't tell you who they are. I imagine it's hand in hand with the geotechnical services that they have the engineers on staff already. So it's yeah. a good fit for them to take on that responsibility. But it fits really with the special inspection program. Yeah, that's so, true. I, and it's really, well, it's kind of interesting too because the municipalities have no liability whatsoever if they inspect something incorrectly, whereas these guys actually have liability. So and they so, and they still get paid for you know the inspection service. So yes, that's right. <laughs> oh, no one, no one seems to be complaining. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what would you tell a homeowner about building in San Luis today? Uh, the the San Luis area. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. Because San Luis, the city of San Luis proper, is kind of a, probably worthy of a whole other podcast. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's probably true. <laughs> it's it's challenging. It's challenging, but in general, in the in the county, we've seen a lot of really good improvements to the municipalities uh, over the last, I'd say, ten years. There's a much more uh, emphasis on uh, customer service, and of course, we try to come in with an attitude, as I know you do as well, that you know, what can we all do collectively to help them do their job, and because they're very stressed. Yeah. And you know, when you see builders and owners and architects standing at the counter arguing with them, that, that's really their worst day when that happens. Yeah. So we try to come in and just say, hey, we're on your team and what can we do to help make it happen? And there, there's only a couple of municipalities really that I've had any sort of difficult time with of, of late, but they've been really very good to deal with. Um, I think that there's a kind of a management shift as, as you see new management take over in these, these different uh, organizations, you see that they're they're changing their emphasis and it's really a delightful change. I mean, it really, yeah. it, I've done a lot of work with the city of Pismo beach. They're, they're exceptional. The County of San Luis Obispo is exceptional. And in some ways, actually some departments at the city of San Luis are really good too. Others are, are challenging, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but you know, and it's different. It depends on your project too and which planner you get. And, and it's unfortunately, it's much more of a political process than you'd like it to be. You'd like to be able to tell your client that, oh, here's how it goes, and this is a checklist of things, and it always goes the same way, and it, it never no. does. Yeah, there, there's so many, um, so many different layers of approval on sets, and depending on where you are, uh, you know, you really, and you got to get the right person at the counter. Um, I've been bitten by that a couple times uh, on we, projects. We, yeah, we even actually uh, go and through a process of interviewing planners informally, trying to get to know the planners on, on a sensitive project so that we come in and, and, I, and I go to the supervisor and say, hey, we will not work with this person. You give us any one of these other three or whatever. And they usually are, are more than willing to accommodate that kind of request. City of Pismo Beach has a guy that's very challenging. I won't name him, but. Um, uh, <laughs> and yeah. so, I think I know that person. <laughs> but I want so, a list of people at, at uh, Slow County. So I know who to go to. I, I want your planner, planner list. Oh yeah, you bet. I'd be happy to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's good. I mean, we. I think that's a, a good point too. Is you know, I, I think 
all of us are, are you know, we're professionals and we want to see our clients do well. And so we do like to collaborate with other design professionals, even other builders, helping people get through the process, whatever we can do to help. We've been called on many times just to be a sort of an expert witness role where we can help people through different challenges they have or they're having trouble with their builder or their architect or whatever. And it's really kind of fun to be able to help people ease their burden through that. And I think that's what you and I do really well together when we work on projects is we're both there with the same goal. We never really talk about it, but it's obvious. We're both there to, to alleviate the concern and the, the stress from the client and take care of all their issues and make a project something that they would, again, love to do twice if they could. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've worked with a lot of architects, I'm sure, over the last 30 years. What's your biggest frustration? working with uh, my profession. Are we recording this? Absolutely. No names, no names. <laughs> it is a podcast. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I would, I would say really the biggest challenge I have with some architects is the ego that comes in. Yeah. And, you know, it seems like every architect who you talk to who doesn't have that challenge, like you don't have that challenge, uh, they get it. You know, they understand that's a reputation within the industry. Uh, but really where, where it rears its head is that it, it, it destroys our ability to um, deliver that service to the client. And so when, when uh, I, I mean, gosh, there's story after story you can, I can think of where an architect, they, they let their, their arrogance get involved to the extent that they were not willing to br bring in the counsel of the people that have been brought together for their help. And it enables the, the architect kind of run off without any advice. And so I, I can think of one example where the client had wanted to be at 1.3 million, which is a pretty decent sized project. Absolutely. But yeah, and uh, he, he w went with his own architect that I did not recommend. And I met with that architect and I told him, you know, we do value engineering for the client. That's why they have us involved in this process. So they want to make sure they hit their budget. And he ignored it completely. Super nice guy and great designer but he completely ignored it. And come and, and finally, I was able to catch up to him to get a hold of the design when it was already at the engineer's office. Oh my. And they had two story tall concrete shear walls throughout this building. And it was like $150,000 worth of structural components just in that one line item. And so I did my, my uh, value engineering estimate on it and I came back at $1.7 million. Mm. And the the uh, owner told me that the architect said I I had no clue as to what things actually cost and that it should cost one point three, and so 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 I said, well, tell you what, let's put it to the test. We'll go out to the market and see what the bids do. And yeah. we brought our bids back, and and I came back and I had to with hat in hand tell him that I was wrong. It wasn't one point seven. It was one point nine million. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> and then he's, he, uh, so the owner was very gracious and retained him for the next design <laughs> as oh. we went, went through a full redesign process. And he was very humble about the whole thing and felt bad. And he said, you know, the, Eric, I've learned my lesson this time. We're going to do it differently. And, right. and so it was a rinse and repeat. Did the same thing again. And oh. it was, yeah. <laughs> It just, oh, it wasn't. God. So he didn't learn. <laughs> no, he really didn't. Oh my God. It was, it was really sad. But uh, again, he's a super nice guy and I really <laughs> enjoyed working with him, but he made it so hard for us to, as a team, yeah. deliver for the client. And that's what, what it's all about. And that's where the integrated project delivery, which I know you champion that process, 
where we, you help your clients build a team around them of designer, like interior designer, landscape designer, yeah. contractor, and we all come together and we say, hey, let's pick them up and carry them through this process, set them down in their completed home, hand them the keys, tuck them in, and, and they, it just works fantastic. Yeah. It's almost flawless. Well, because I, I know there's no way I don't swing the hammer. So there's no way I can come in and say, oh, yeah, that's exactly going to be whatever it is. And yeah. frequently, I mean, I, I tell you, I, I think probably 20 years ago, I was saying, oh, we're about $150 a square foot and it comes in at 200 And then, you know, 10 years ago, I'm saying, oh, it's 225 to 250 and it's coming at 300 And now I yeah. say 300 and it's coming in higher. I mean, I... Don't, I, I try to think, oh, there's no way it can be that, but there's so many things involved and so many people, and we're in a small area that there's not a lot of competition for really good contractors. And I'm, I'm not saying they're, they're, they're pushing the pricing up, but there's supply and demand. There's only so many good contractors you want on the job, and they're, you know, they're going to make some money. And... Well, there's economics that I don't, you know, when these projects go a year, 15 months with planning review, yeah. by the time you start, you go, oh, hey, we're about 250. And by the time you're done, you're, everyone's busy. It's tough to yeah. get anybody and the prices rise, not to mention with materials. Well, you know, one of the things I, I think a lot of people don't comprehend right off is that they think of real estate as a commodity. And commodities you can actually get for zero dollars. Somebody can literally hand you their house. That's true. But you, will, but you will never get someone to work for free to build you a house. Yes. Right? And so what ends up happening over time is that, relatively speaking, the, the new construction is somewhat linear compared to existing market values, which are very trendy. But that trend usually moves about the line of new construction. And so people, I, I get this a lot, especially with some of our professional clients, investors and such, and they say, well, we wanna wait till the, the, the pricing correction happens and we're gonna cut a great deal. And it really doesn't, doesn't work quite that way. Of course, it, it does move, yeah. but it usually, it usually lags the market by a significant number of months. In fact, I have a client right now who, because of the current COVID situation, was debating whether or not to put off his bill for six months and rebid everything. And they ultimately decided that they really didn't want to lose six months of their retirement in their, their new home and on their beautiful lot they just bought. And they're thinking, hey, yeah. you know, we only got so many months left in this life. And they, they valued that more than the potential Absolutely. savings. But it was really hard for him because he's a real estate or a commercial realtor. And so he's used to, you know, working all those numbers all the time. But it's, it's hard. I think, you know, all, as usual with most things we do, our, our greatest challenge is between our two ears. Yeah. And, and, that, and, and so, again, our job for you and I is to help our clients through that as well, isn't it? Exactly. Counsel them through that and then yeah. help them make the decision whichever way they're gonna 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 go on their project. So yeah. Um so what kind of technology are you using with homeowners during the construction process? Well in addition to all the, the standard platforms like Word and Excel, which you know we're we're still heavily in, into Excel as most builders are, we use a, a client interface software called CoConstruct. That's C-O Construct. And the idea is, you know, cooperation of the process bringing that together. It was actually implemented in, or designed and implemented by a software engineer who had a custom home built 
and got so frustrated with dealing with this builder. He said, there's got to be a better way to do this. Looked around, realized there really wasn't any for built for custom, for uh, residential builders. And he, he quit his job and started a software company in 2006. Huh. Bad time to start a software company yeah, catering true. to builders, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but he actually survived. They actually grew during the recession and came out on top. And that one of the reasons that was one of the reasons we went with him. We actually evaluated uh, over 40 different platforms over about two year period to decide because it's a big investment of yeah. not just money, but huge investment of time. In yeah. fact, it took us another two years to fully implement it and get where we're fully using it. But it enables us to uh, collaborate with the owner, with, with the design professional, enables everyone to come in through their portal and have a view of the project, the project schedule. They can see what their selection, the owner can see their upcoming selections. Everything's tied to a project schedule. So if let's say we need to have their appliances selected by the end of framing so we can lay out the mechanical in the right locations for whatever appliances they pick, they'll see that deadline. As it approaches, it'll change color for them. Eventually, they'll start sending them emails saying, hey, wake yeah. up, you need to pick I, your appliances. I, I got some of those, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there are challenges with automation that it, with anything technologically based, there's a huge upfront investment. So when you launch a project, it's a lot of extra hours that we wouldn't normally have to put in at that point yeah. to get everything in there and get it all populated. But then it pays huge dividends because it's there and you got, you know, owners, they, they might wake up in the middle of the night, can't sleep, and they'll just say, hey, I wonder what I have to do in my house this week. And I'll get a message coming in in the middle of the night saying, hey, they picked this, they picked that. Or maybe they have a question. They can look at the job log and we can share different aspects of that log, the daily log with them. If we, it's a milestone, hey, we just poured the slab and we have pictures posted, then we'll, we'll share those photos with them, which we have that option. So we can share with subcontractors, we can share with owners for different relevancies. And then they can look in and say, hey, that's interesting. You know, what's this thing over there? What's over there? And they can send us those messages. And it's all compartmentalized in one platform. So we're not running the emails to get one thing, to Excel to get yeah. another. And, and so it really draws all that together. Project scheduling is very similar to Microsoft Project, where with the difference that it actually emails people when their trade is or their, their task is coming up. Okay. And you can message within there. So you can message a guy, he's, he's starting on next Wednesday. You say, hey, we got done a little early. Can you start Tuesday? That message goes right in the schedule. So you're if that the project manager might be uh you know managing that aspect of it but the project superintendent can see that hey there's this transaction going on and then they can they can piggyback on top of it and add their comments what have you uh, also all the bidding process happens there so we go put out our request for bid and everyone gets notified of the bid date they get reminded of the bid date so yeah. uh, they can they submit very simply by uh, in fact one of the best parts of the system is you don't have to actually log into the system to use it. So if our system sends you an email, you can simply hit reply to the email and it will put it back into the system. Okay. So, so it's a little more user friendly for people that are tech scared or, <laughs> or intimidated, which, you know, there's, there's a lot. It's actually interesting. So a lot of our older clients are adapting to it quicker than some of the younger ones, which is kind of funny. That is that that it really is interesting. Well, I heard the same thing about Facebook that, that it was really super popular people over 50. Cause it, it, well, my kids tell me that's for a completely different reason is uh, we took it over is, is how they uh, put it. And that, so <laughs> they did something different that we go on to TikTok and Twitter and, and Instagram and all the other stuff. So, so the, 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 be, the greatest benefit to it really though is for out-of-town clients, which I'd say at least half of our clients don't live in the area. Exactly. And you and I just finished a project for 
uh, Glenn and Shirley, where they're six hours drive away, yeah. and they mastered it. They were fantastic. They loved having the, the interaction, being able to look in and see what we're doing. And, it, and, and ultimately, it lessens the amount of time they need to be one-on-one -on -one with us and time yeah. we need to be one-on-one -on -one with them. We can focus more on the high-priority elements of managing the, the project. And we ultimately, we end up doing a better job at, at our project execution because of that and technology. I, I, I'll tell you, I, I interviewed uh, them, uh, Glenn, for a podcast, but also uh, I interviewed both Shirley and Glenn for my upcoming book. And they were, they are still delighted with- Oh, wonderful. And, and such. And, and, you know, the biggest thing is, and they don't know quite how to, you know, I said, so what would you, um, what would you tell someone? He says, well, it's going to cost more than you think, and it's going to take longer. Just know that. And if you know that, and you have the right team, which they emphasized, we did. I'm like, yeah, um, <laughs> that uh, it'll it'll work out, and that's that's the biggest thing for them. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, did you get much pushback from your subs? Could, do they have to make an investment in the process? Yeah, that's probably one of the most challenging parts is getting them to to respond. But because they can respond simply by pressing reply to the emails, that helps a lot. But there's some subs who take to it like a duck to water. I get if if I give a guy access, he can see all the projects we have coming up. And so some of the, our regular subs, I, I do that for. And so the guys that are, are really uh, advanced, they'll actually go in and look to see what projects are coming up and they'll start sending me messages. Hey, can I bid on this one? Can I bid on that one? And so it just, it's just varying levels. I think everyone's kind of starting to realize that they're going to have to get up to speed. We actually, one of our bid requirements is that pe people have to be re uh, communicating electronically. It's a bit requirement. I mean, used to be back in the day of fax machines that you know, there was guys that didn't have fax machines, and yeah. I'd, I'd be buying guys I use regularly. I'd buy them a fax machine because <laughs> so, you know I can't <laughs> I, I can't wait three days for your for your bid to show up. I need it the day you're done with it. You know exactly because you normally they're taking it down to the wire anyway, and then they just want to yeah. send it out. Okay, um, <clears throat> so what changes do you see in the future of home construction? Well, I think building tech, uh, building science is huge. We've we've always kind of been on the cutting edge of that because uh, I don't know. I guess I'm a tinker at heart. I like seeing what are what uh, are the latest advancements in technology and seeing how we can apply them in practical ways. The uh, Title Twenty Four Energy Code has yeah. been a huge impediment over the years, uh, it, be, because of the fact that they force change instead of encouraging change, and so therefore you end up doing a lot of things that are uh, either unnecessary or not beneficial, and the client does, isn't as well served that way. Yeah. But when when they really started ramping things up a few years ago, you know, when they really started increasing their requirements, we 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 increased our efforts to get ahead of the Title Twenty Four, so that we're always exceeding it and we're never bumping into any of the edges of the envelope. So, for for example, we our our first home where we really started doing this thing was about seven years ago where we hit, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure if you're aware, but in order to qualify for the uh, rebates under for the solar programs, you have to exceed Title 24 by 15%. Okay. And that if you do that, that's called Tier 1. And if you exceed it by 30%, that's called Tier 2. And anything beyond that is all Tier 2. Well, we, hit, we exceeded Title 24 by 55%. 
And, and that was, we weren't trying to do anything that was specifically energy related. We were just simply wanting to build the best quality home we could for our clients with the air sealing and bed upgrading insulation, using radiant heat, using solar, uh, ther thermal solar for heating the water for the radiant heat, using that same system, enlarging it to heat their pool. We were able to get all these these huge bonus points for that rating, and and the our, the energy rater was doing handsprings. He couldn't believe that we were able to do that, and we weren't even trying to hit any kind of record. Awesome. But I think I think that's an example of where the the market, when properly incentivized, can actually turn out well in excess of whatever the agencies are asking for. Yeah. And I think I think the, I think I think it's getting a little better. When I go to some of the inspectors, where or or the energy raters and such, and we try to communicate in, in early stages of project design and and uh you know like they talk about doing charrettes where you're, you're bringing everyone together and talk about okay what are our objectives how are we going to pull this off and be as eco-friendly as possible save the clients much money on energy stay within their budget and so forth uh, but some of the ways we've been able to advance beyond the requirements are spray foam insulation we do exclusively spray foam insulation we don't use bats anymore okay. Uh, radiant heating again is a huge bonus because it's 40% more efficient than any other means of of heating and we've actually been part of pioneering somewhat uh, to a certain degree the idea of radiant cooling so we actually send cool, cool water through the floors now and through different aspects of the home and in order to gain that same efficiency in areas where we need cooling so uh, that, I'd say that's the, the biggest areas I see changes is in, in those areas it's becoming a lot more difficult for a guy who, who decides to take off his nail bags and become a general contractor to really perform in this environment because it's getting very technical. Yeah. And, and there's, and it's really important to stay ahead of all that stuff. And, you know, one of the issues too, is as you've probably noticed when as title 24 changes, we have these unintended consequences come out of it, like mold. Yeah. You know, the, the mold homes didn't used to mold 30 years ago. Exactly. They, At least because they had enough. Yeah. They have all enough air movement through the home. Well, now we're sealing the homes up airtight in order to make yeah. them energy efficient. So how are we providing the clean air? We're using energy recovery ventilators and there's you know, exactly. dozens of different varieties of those. And so which one's best and which construction method and insulated concrete formwork, which is, a, uh, we're doing a, a huge project using that as an all concrete home that we were able to give advice to the design teams and, and give, give them direction toward that. And, and it, it was huge benefits of, uh, of, for going with that system, not the least of which is the fact that with all that concrete, it holds the energy. So you get very mild energy swings throughout yeah. the, the, the seasons and throughout the days. So you can just trickle energy. And in fact, uh, they, they say the objective is to try and heat or cool the home with as much energy as a 1500 watt hairdryer. I think we'll probably be beyond, beyond that with this one. Wow. But it, it's actually being done. You know, there's, okay. there's people actually pulling that off. We'll, so we'll see how this goes because it's still in construction. <clears throat> but um, I, I think being able to, to, to bring that technology to the forefront, to find clients that are willing to experiment, that's a big one too. Our clients are huge partners in that yeah. because we can't try some new technology. We can't afford to take the risk all <laughs> our own. So we, we talk to clients about it. Each time we have a new client, we say, hey, here's things available. Are you interested in trying any of them? And usually they'll want to try one or two. And we get clients that want to really want to, take a chance and capture that. And I can't think of a single one where it didn't go well for them. But you know, when you, when you don't know, you've got to help them understand that you're, you're basically doing some R and D on their project. Yeah. And, uh, and so the client and, and every one of us has been fantastic. That's jumped in on that. Cause they get excited about it. our clients get very excited about technology, whether it be uh, communications or energy or, or window coverings, you know, uh, automated window coverings, all these different things. Yeah. 
Um, so it, it's a great, they, they, they're obviously a partner in the process as well, a key partner. In fact, I'd say most of our innovation has really come because of our partnership with our clients. Isn't that funny? I never thought of it that way before. But because you, the clients either ask for something unique or they, they ask for a unique process we hadn't done before in terms of communication or information delivery or what have you. And so we, we look for those opportunities to be able to add those things because it's part of our innovation is meeting the needs of the community. Cool. I, I heard it said once that uh, that somebody who a, a business that doesn't appeal to the needs of the community around it deserves to go out of business, and the ones that succeed will simply go into the community, ask the community, "What do you need? How can we serve you?" And and it doesn't matter if it's something that's not in your regular collection of wares. You you, you figure out a way to meet that need. Exactly. I, I think that that explains a lot about what we do, doesn't it? Yes. We go because every project's different. I love getting the question, have you ever done a project like this before? <laughs> <laughs> On a general basis, yes. You're specific, no. No. So each project is, is all about innovation and, and managing that process. You know, it's interesting too, thing too is I think in our world of um, assembly lines and mass production, people tend to think of homes and construction projects like they think of their, their car. You know, if, yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen the YouTube video of how they build a BMW. It's, no, I haven't. It's incredible. I mean, it's almost all done robotically. And if you watch that video, it's amazing. But a home will never be built that way. I mean, we're getting into 3D printing of homes. Yeah. But they still have to be hand plastered. They still have to be hand finished. You know, and so it's if you think about it, we're really creating a partnership between you and the and the owner to create a, a, a bit of a business entity because a lot of money changes hands through this yeah. process, right? Yeah. And so we're gonna go and we're gonna do a one-time factory. We're going to put it up on their property and we're going to produce a one-of prototype. What an interesting way to think about and, it. And it needs to reach a significant level of perfection that you only usually see in like number 12, yeah. right? When you on a, like you guarantee a new model of BMW, that probably doesn't get to 10 or 12 or 20 before they actually put it out into the show. Exactly. Good. So we, good. we've got to produce first shot. We've got to get it right That's up there. Fine. Yeah. Yeah, and then we tear down that factory and we move it to somebody else's property and start all over again. Yeah. So and there's and there's there's fingerprints and like if you've ever seen fine handcrafted pottery, there's fingerprints in it. Yeah. And so there's signs of craftsmanship that that that's really part of what gives it its its unique quality that you can see what it took for a guy to bring joinery together or for you know a certain uh, appliances to be able to assemble together and all the innovation that goes to that. You know, each home is going to be different. That's what gives it a lot of its unique qualities. But that, that is really a fascinating way to look at it. And it <clears throat> speaks to the, to the, the uh, how do I want to say, having the same team. You're, you're, you know, people go, oh, well, why does he use these, these subcontractors? They're expensive. And he goes, well, because it ultimately saves you money and you're going to get the best quality service your home uh, that you could possibly get and because you've worked together on so many homes what well, is isn't that the 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 way the conversation goes when it comes to price yeah is that you know some some people can only seem to be able to shop based on price but the clients that have successful projects are the ones that shop based on total cost yeah not upfront price and that are shopping value <clears throat> I, you know, actually, I was talking to a friend of mine, and, and she'd asked me, hey, what, um, what are your most, how would you describe your most successful projects? And I really, I started going back through 
the last four or five years. And I really honed it down to vision. The homeowner comes in with a very strong vision and that is their driving force, mm -hmm. not the budget. And mm -hmm. I, you know, I go back to Glenn and Shirley as an example is they had a vision for what they wanted there. And yes, everyone wants to be at a certain price level. Mm -hmm. They want to spend a lot of money. They don't want to spend a lot of money. They don't have to, but they were flexible because they, they knew what they wanted and they wanted to go for it. And we cut, we, where we could cut that it didn't involve the vision, but they kept focus on that and it helped all their decisions down the road. And they, you know, they admitted, they said, ultimately, yeah, we spent way more than we wanted, but we have the home that we envision. And that's the success. I go back over my projects, the most successful ones are the ones where people focused on vision and not just on price, because that, mm -hmm. that leads you to make some poor decisions long-term when you focus on the price. You know? Yeah, and, and, and of course we, we've, we give them to make sure they have a price before they start, and it doesn't change at that point going forward. But yeah. in that design development process, it changes as their ideas get dollars put to them. But certainly before they start the project, they know exactly what it's going to cost. But I've, I've had uh, experiences in the past where, I, one in particular I can think of, where the client was literally crying because she said, we can't afford you, but we really want to use you. Can't you please come down further on the price? And I said, I'm sorry, I've squeezed everything I can out of this. And it's, I can't. And it was, it was a heartbreaker, you know, because I love the, the client. And it's just yeah. we couldn't make their numbers work. We just couldn't yeah. do it. And so they well, went up. And if you did come down, you wouldn't be giving the, the level of service that they expect. Well, I'll tell you, if, if there's one thing I've learned in 30 years is, is what things cost. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's, we have a lot of uh, repeat uh, recycling of the process where we're continually perfecting our ability to anticipate costs. And so we, we, we make project or, or uh, we make a profit on our projects, but it's always uh, within the, the balance of giving them a predictable price and for a reasonable price. Yeah. But um, when, when it gets to where they start making decisions for the wrong reasons, then they're in trouble. So this, this particular example that I was thinking of, I, I ran into the, the lady uh, about halfway through her project at uh, Hayward Lumber, local lumberyard. Mm -hmm. And she came over me and threw her arms around me, gives me this big hug and starts tearing. I said, what's wrong? She said, Eric, we're only halfway through and we already passed your budget. Oh. And I said, oh, it's just, oh, it's just horrible. It's horrible. You know, so here they got the information that helped them make their project work, but it was not reliable information. And now they're in trouble. Where yeah. do they come up with that extra money? Exactly. Yeah. Which is why actually I've even talked some people out of their projects because it's just simply not in their budget. I've had people come to me. They have a lot. They have an architect. I do preliminary costs for them. And once we go through and I help them see how real those costs are, they thank me. In fact, some of my best referrals have come from people we never worked for. Huh. And, and I, I appreciate that. You know, I, I want to make it, our objective collectively is to help people make good decisions. True. That's, we're, not, we're not out to try and win business. We're out to help people make good decisions. Yeah. When it gets to the point where the next good decision is to hire our team 
to help them with their project, well, we'll help them make that decision. But right out of the gate, we want to help them pick the right realtor, the right architect, the right piece of property, the, yeah. the right planners, and so forth. We want to help them make all those right decisions. And then out of the, the number of people we help, enough of them end up making the right decision to work with us that we do well and feed our families and, and are able to hire people and build our community through our business and so forth. But our objective isn't to go out and just collect as many dollars as we can. Yeah. It's to help. In fact, you know, we build projects, as you've seen, that vary widely from a $200,000 addition for, on a nice avenue for mm -hmm. the Lances uh, to uh, we're doing a $4.7 million concrete home. And people come and they say, gosh, you know, you, know, you build those fancy houses. Are, are you sure we can afford you for your remodel? Or would you be even willing to do it? And my answer is always, you know, we're not looking for projects where we're looking for clients. Yeah. I know I've heard you say the same thing. You're yeah. looking for those unique people that are a joy to work with, that really appreciate how we can help them understand it, and then we go to work. It really doesn't matter the size of the project. And with That's absolutely true. After, after 30 years myself, I just, you know, life is way too short mm -hmm. to, to deal with people who just don't get that. I mean, there's yeah. lots of other architects who will do it for half the price. And I hear about it all the time. I'm like, okay, that's, you know, I want to be able to sit down and enjoy the process with you. And if mm -hmm. you're on board with that, that's, you know, it takes a little more effort and money. But ultimately, I think it saves them in the end. Well, you know, what's interesting, too, is in those cases where we are actually see how, able to see how our numbers compare with other builders, we're right in line with them. It's, At the end of the day, when you see their completed project, like the one I told you about, where yeah. you know, and and so what we're able to do though is give them a predictable process, a predictable yeah. outcome. That we we've always turned our projects in on budget. I mean, there there was the only one I can I could come up with in the last ten years was one we were eight thousand dollars over budget on a million three house. So okay, I take that. Yeah. <laughs> now that doesn't mean there aren't upgrades. Yeah. You know, they, oh, absolutely. And yeah. that pain point for people is when they get your price and they go somewhere else and it's lower, the pain point for them is they budgeted where the contractor told them and they end up where you are and they didn't bank on that. Yeah, which is why actually we, we do not engage in competitive bid. We're busier yeah. now than we ever have been and we do not engage in competitive bid. <laughs> I, I, don't, I say that it, under the right circumstances we might, but the, the, and it's not because we're afraid of competition. That's not the issue. The issue is that the decision isn't being made on sound grounds. Yeah. That I can make the numbers anything you want to, just like any, you know, a nefarious accountant can cook the books. We can cook the books. Yeah. I, I can produce any, what, what, how much do you want to spend? Okay, here's your, here's your bid. Exactly. And then, exactly. and then, and that's, and then they, they start looking for the opportunities. What got, got, didn't get considered in the plans because you're providing a service, not a product, right? Yeah, as an architect, yep. and so the these these uh, services, it, it's not a perfect design. I mean, it's it's the best you can do given how much they're willing to spend on yeah. on plans. And to, like in commercial work, it's a little more specified, but you could spend three hundred thousand dollars in architect's fees on a relatively simple building in commercial. So um, it's it's that it's that client who understands that you're the, the way you, I think clients our clients choose us. You are you you and us is that they, they choose them similar to how they, they choose their doctor or their accountant. They talk to their friends. They get a, a sense of comfort. Yeah. And then they, then the, the, and before you, you would hire the professional under those circumstances, the last thing you're going to say is, okay, show me your fee schedule. Sure. <laughs> right? If it looks reasonable, then you hire them. And that's really what we're doing is, is that people 
are, are looking for someone who can come in and care for them. And in fact, we see this with the last two remodels you and I did together. Both of those clients, they, they uh, knew of our larger work that we did. And I was, I'm always concerned about that because I don't want them to think that we're going to give them some outrageous price because we don't. We, each price is appropriate for the project. But what they actually expressed back to me, both of them, was that they were so delighted to be able to have a, a higher-end custom home builder come in and work on their remodel. Yeah. And I, and, and I think that represents the, the values of the, the, our, our typical client is that they're looking for that predictability, that, that comfort level, that they have, they have a team that's going to really care for them and take them through that process in a way that, they again, they'd love to do it again. And I think that's what, how we see these playing out. Absolutely. Okay. So with that, what challenges do you see homeowners face during the construction process? Uh, during construction? Yeah. Uh, gosh, I'd say um, arguing with their spouses. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I frequently say I minor in, in family mediation. That's it, yeah. Usually needed. Yes, exactly. And what's really fun is when you and I get to be in the same room when that's happening and we, yeah. can, we, can, we can tag team it and help them through that, you know. And it, it's, it's great, though. You know, we built our own home about 12 years ago, and I'm so glad we did because it was just a horrible process. <laughs> I, I, I gained so much appreciation for what our clients deal with. And it was mostly challenging because we tried, you know, I had an architect, but they didn't really play a large role in it. And so I tried to do so many things myself. And, you know, you and I have the benefit of a client to use as a sounding board and walk through their, their mm. ideas. And where when you're doing it for yourself, who do you ask, you know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so it, it was just great because I made all the decisions. I always tell my clients never to do, you know, I hired an unlicensed painter to save $10,000 and I spent that 10,000 plus another 10 fixing his work. And <laughs> you know, I, would, I would never let a client do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it really gave me a, a, a better sense of empathy than I already had to, to help them through that. You know, when they start going at each each other's throats a little bit over you know which faucet to pick or yeah. you can you know you can you know kind of defuse the situation help them walk it out okay why don't we just pick which are your favorite three which are your favorite three and you know of those which one would you absolutely not want you you know you know pick through it and eventually get down to one we even came up with a, a system with some of our clients we call it uh, points a point system so they uh -huh. start off with a certain number of points and they get when they get to a, a headbutting and say okay how many points and whoever's willing to bid the greatest amount of her points wins wins the decision. And and it's really we don't keep a specific record, uh, kind of more informally. But it's it's kind of become it it it, it makes it a lighthearted process. Yeah. Where, where they realize that they, they need to really qualify their decision making process. How important is that to you? Because this thing yeah. over here is really really important to me. I'm willing to give on these other things, not this one. You help them prioritize through, and usually even the most challenging conflict can be resolved pretty quick. And, and pretty fun, too. You, know, you can make it fun for them like that. But I'd say that's probably the biggest challenge is, is that one. Um, I can't really think of any others that are challenging. It's really, well, I think it's because of your process. You, you're, when the homeowners start, they're very clear um, what exactly is included. They know the price. It's not going to you know, move unless they buy something that's really outside of if mm -hmm. there are um, any allowances or such. But I think you ha you handle that because of your construction process. Oh, thank you. And bidding and such. Well, so if someone was not using you, how would you 
tell, how can a homeowner pre better prepare for their home remodeling project? First, they should read your book. Because <laughs> well, you your, your, your book is fantastic. It, what's it, how to avoid remodeling hell? Yes. That <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very good. And I think, I think uh, they need to educate themselves. They need to understand that they are their biggest challenge in the process. They themselves. Yeah. And so make sure that they crew up their team with people who understand how to cater to whatever needs they have in the particular project, where it's a four and a half million dollar uh, home or a hundred thousand dollar room addition, whatever it is that they, they need to get to, I get really, it's a place of humility, isn't it? Where uh, I know in my own business, my biggest enemy has been my own arrogance and pridefulness being willing to ask for help, hire consultants, hire accountants, you know, he's got to realize, yeah. Hey, I need help, you know? And, yeah. and I think that's where when a, a client comes in and says, you know what, I, I need help. I, I've, I'm getting into this thing knee deep and I can already see it's way over my head. What can you do that might be able to help me? And if a contractor doesn't respond with, I'm so glad you asked that because that's what we specialize in. When people realize they have a need, we are there to help them. Yeah. That's if they're not hearing words like that from their builder, from their design professional, they really need to keep looking. And they're, it's, it's not that hard to find. There's a lot of really good builders and architects out there, but it's really easy to get going, making decisions on the wrong buying motive on, of price. And like I've, the examples we've mentioned, you know, they, they really can get down the way down the wrong road. I can't tell you how many people have come to me with permits in hand saying, okay, this, we're ready to put a price to this. And it just really blows their budget out of the yeah. water. And, and it shouldn't happen that way. And they really need to do the integrated design delivery. Yeah, they need to work, work with a, an architect, a builder, an interior designer, a landscape designer. They bring them on just like they would when they're, it's time to do their, their annual taxes. They get a good team together. It's going to do the best job for them. Yeah. And, and the, the decision now, now I think it's worth pointing out, Michael, that the, the process, just cause we're talking about doing the integrated project delivery doesn't mean it's not a competitive process. First off, if we do compete and in, in, in that if we weren't producing projects that were reasonably priced, we wouldn't be in business. Yeah. And there's, there's not a whole bunch of people with a blank checkbook running around looking for someone to throw their money at. That does, yeah. I haven't, I've yet to meet one in 30 yeah, years. I know, me too. I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm really hoping to get one before I, before I pass, but yeah, not likely. So, but, but it's still very competitive in the bidding process. So we go to bid, we go to bid in three counties, Santa Barbara, San Luis, and Monterey, and even some beyond that for certain trades. And so while we do have our a kind of a our steady stable of, of loyal subcontractors, every single project gets bid out to the public. That's how we met these contractors. Okay. These aren't people that I grew up working with when I was a kid. They're people I have found over the years. And, you know, we, we are loyal to our subs, but only to a point. We want them to have the best. We have what we call our preferred vendor list. Sure. Those, those guys, it's theirs to lose. And so they come in understanding that, hey, with, with Schaefer Construction, we, we have to keep our pencil sharp. We can't get fat on this, but we know they'll take care of us. We know they pay quickly. They yeah. know that they specify things very carefully so that we can bid things tight and not lose money because we know what's expected of us. Yeah. You know, your plans are very detailed. You give good uh, imagery and you're, you could, because you cut your sections and you elevate the, the, the room or the walls beyond. That's huge for a subcontractor. When they're looking at a set of plans, they can look at that and say, hey, I know what's expected of me. They look at our, we have our own set of specifications. They combine that with your plans and they say, I know exactly what's expected of me. I also know that with Schaefer Construction, they pay extras when they're legit. And so they can tighten up their numbers. 
I actually had a, a subcontractor I wanted to use, a plastering contractor. It's named Spike Plastering. I wanted to use him for years. I mean, two decades. I always wanted to use him because I know he's just literally the best contractor in plaster work in the county. And he never could compete on price with my other subs. And I finally went to him and I, and I said, uh, you know, what, what's going on? Why can't we get this to work? And he said, well, I know you won't pay any change orders, so I, I have to bid it high. And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, the builders I work for, if, if I put the weep screen in, you know, the bottom level of the stucco at a certain elevation and the builder comes along and says, hey, I want to move that two inches higher, he's going to expect me to move it and not give him a change order. And I said, well, well that means you're charging all of his clients for changes they don't make. Yeah, because you don't change <laughs> it all the time. Yeah, and I said, tell you what, you take all that extra fat out of your bid. If I change something, I'll pay for it. My client changes something, they'll pay for it. If you mess something up, you pay for it. Deal? And, and, he, and he, he gets about a third of my, my business now ever since he changed his pricing method. Huh. And he's a fantastic subcontractor. So, you know, it's a very competitive environment that we're able to manage and keep a level of fairness and preference to the subs we've had for many, many of them since I was a kid, I'm still, I'm still working with. <laughs> but, but at the same time, they realize there, we're all, there's always a replacement. You know, no one's irreplaceable. None of us are. And so we got to keep a balance between competitive environment and quality, predictable uh, level, level of service and so forth. So it, 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 is, it is a very competitive process. It's just that when they're picking that design team, that initial project delivery team, they really need to pick it very carefully and make sure they're not getting in their own way when they're doing that. Yeah, true. Well, I, I tell you, Eric, this has been fantastic. I've gone through my questions and then some. Uh, I, this was way more than I expected. I really appreciate uh, your answers, your forthcoming. You're welcome. Um, being so forthcoming. Any last comments you want to make? Uh, I'm, I'm just excited that you're doing this because I, I think this is really the single greatest thing that, that we can do to help our community is yeah. to help educate them. And, and you, you do that really well. Your books are amazing and, and the degree to which you, you engage the community in this level to help them understand what they're getting into in advance. Uh, you know, I've, I've often thought a, an interesting blog post would be why you should never build a custom home. <laughs> kind of like your your book that you know how to avoid remodeling hell <laughs> wow. and and it's like you know unless you can unless you can predictably deal handle these these issues some of the ones we've talked about some of them, many of them of course we haven't but unless you really get to where you can you, you've got yourself in a situation we have a team that can handle that you're you're not going to do well and so your efforts you're going through to help educate and communicate with the the uh community in this way i think is fantastic and i appreciate you doing that well, thank you very much. That's that's great to hear, and I'm I appreciate that. Uh, so I'll wrap it up here and say thank you very much, Eric, for your time. And we will go back to the show. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for a new episode coming soon.